0: the path of our soul towards enlightenment and uh, the different practices that also more directly relate to our soul and the spiritual dimensions in which it resides. So, first of all, when it comes to the path, I like to a little bit question this opposition that is often found between what is then called the direct path and the progressive path. Very often people are discussing about this and then mostly they feel, okay, I want the direct path to the self. I don't want to take baby steps like and follow some kind of progressive path. But this is an illusion because the opposite word of a progressive path is not a direct path, because a direct path is still a path. It means you take steps, you move forward bit by bit. The opposite word would be an instant path. You know, the click of the finger and there you are. And, of course, that is really the true path in jhana Yoga, when we say, OK, focus your awareness on your awareness. And nothing more needs to be done. That is, you know, instant. If you can do it, most people can't. But if you can do it, that is instant. Then instantly you are there with the Self. So, but that is of course not so easy. I mean, it's not so difficult maybe to have that awareness, but to keep it. No, that is the difficult part. Always somehow we get distracted and in that way Jhana teachers like Ramana Maharishi, etc They will also point towards a certain path, a certain process in which something else is happening actually, you no, know? because the self is not something that we can actually find because that is what we are, you no. Know? It is not something that has to be like created or mastered or yeah, in any way. We cannot do anything with the Self, it just is, and the only thing we can do is to be aware of it, which means that we withdraw our awareness from everything else. And so there, we do have a path, we do have a certain kind of progress, we do have a certain kind of process in letting go of things. And. This comes quite directly, of course, in any kind of meditation on the Self, that we stop listening to whatever is around us and looking around and, you know, go inside and stop thinking about yesterday and tomorrow and all these things, that we withdraw from all these things towards our center, towards the Self. But also there is a process throughout our lives where we are gradually losing our attachments, because these are of course the main things that are keeping us away from the Self, that are keeping our attention somewhere else. Our attachments, which we have talked about before, related to the elements also, our attachment to security, our attachment to pleasures, our attachment to status, all these things. These are the ones that slowly, slowly we can let go. And then we can see, yes, let's say, for example, 10 years ago I was still worrying a lot about money. Now, I somehow learned, <laughs> I'll not starve and somehow the money issue it will be resolved. You know? And I don't need that much, maybe also the way that I'm living now. So, this is a progress. This is a step forward in letting go of things. So, in that way, We should not be confused about it. We work with our consciousness, always trying to keep the awareness on the Self. But at the same time, we also work with our energy in the many forms that it takes. And it is precisely through these forms that attachments are being made. And so, by harmonizing these energies, we can also be more detached from all these things. And so gradually, you know, come closer and closer to the Self and really start living from the Self. So this illustration is actually quite similar to the Lotus of the Manifesting Self that we have seen before. But okay, maybe here a little bit more rational. The explanation of how from the Self, from Satchit and Ananda, emerge time, space, and sound as the main powers that lead to the manifested universe, that then also relate to different practices that can help to bring us back to the self. So basically, it is the same story, it's just a different image that I created uh, for the book. So, the main question then to ask here is who. Is doing this? Who is wanting this? And so very clearly there, the Self is not the one doing this. The Self is not doing anything. The Self is merely there, I would say, as a kind of inspiration, somehow drawing us towards it, without actually doing anything for that just by its nature, just by its beingness, just by that endless happiness that it has, it answers our most essential question in yoga, which is the question, how can I be happy independent of what happens? The answer there is the Self. So, that Self is always in that way inspiring us, but it is not doing anything. The one who is following this path, the one who is using these different powers, the one who is actually evolving, is the ego. That is very important, of course, to understand, because that means that the ego is the hero of yoga, which is a little bit of a funny thing to say, because usually in yoga we don't have such a good idea about the ego. We see the ego as the source of all our problems, the source of all our attachments, you No. Know? but we have to see. The ego basically is just an idea, but it is an idea with many, many different layers, attaching to many, many parts of us, up to, of course, then also the subconscious, where the ego resides as a very primary attachment to our form, and from where all kinds of feelings come that then produce all kinds of thoughts. And actions, and so on. So, the ego may be just an illusion, just an idea, but it's still only the ego that holds the ego. So, it is also only the ego that can let go of the ego. So, yes, the ego is there, the hero or the villain, as you want. (laughs) And in that way, it is just a matter of choice. Do you want your ego to be the villain who creates all kinds of problems or do you want it to be a hero who goes towards peace, who goes towards bliss, and who detaches from all these things? But it is not just a matter of changing your mind. It is not just a matter of thinking differently. And you may remember in one of the earlier videos we talked about how the subconscious continuously affects our thinking, continuously creates all kinds of emotions and actions. And that subconscious is beyond our consciousness. It is beyond our ideas and opinions and all that. So, to work with that level, we need to have time. This is not something we can just solve like this slowly, slowly there, we can see, oh, now this attachment, it seems gone. And we have done maybe certain things, used certain techniques to make that possible. But still, it is not something we have done consciously. It is something which at some point happens. And so, in that way, we have to be really patient with ourselves, and keep also loving that ego, of course, because it is the hero. If we do not like ourselves, we certainly cannot advance on this path. We need to love ourselves, and in that way we can encourage ourselves to always move a bit further, but at the same time accept that this is not so easy. So to understand a little bit more about the subconscious, we cannot limit ourselves to those parts of the brain which are generally related to the subconscious in Western science. In Western science they will say the subconscious okay it is in the midbrain, which is quite emotional and which has all kind of you could say like childish desires. And very like sensitive feelings and, and so on. And uh, then of course, there is the hind brain and the brain stem, which are the reptile brain, you know, our animal nature, from where comes all kinds of, for example, territorial behavior, jealousy, from where also can come a lot of anger or fear or, or whatever. So these are definitely also there as parts of the subconscious. But, in Vedic science, these are only seen as the surface part of the subconscious. The part that is, yes, engraved, you can say, in our brain. But the much more essential part of the subconscious is the soul. There is a lot of confusion about this word, actually. Many people confuse the soul with the self. And then they feel, oh, the soul can only be a beautiful thing. (laughs) But actually, those are two very different things. The self is our pure awareness, our eternal bliss, our void beingness, and that is the same in each and every one of us, and the same in every animal, and the same in everything. So, that is the self. But the soul is still totally something individual. The soul is actually... A very subtle energy body. You could say it is our most subtle energy body. And it is that subtle energy body which travels from one life to the next, from one body to the next body, in the story of reincarnation. And so what we can see here in this uh, illustration is the difference between a soul which is incarnated in the flesh let's say, and a soul which is not incarnated in between lives, let's say. So, there we see, as we have seen before, the different layers of our being. Starting, of course, from the self, then we find the subconscious, then we find the conscious mind, then we find our energy body, the pranic body, and then we find the physical body, made out of the five elements. So, there the soul is that part of our subconscious which is not part of the brain. Okay, this is not so clear actually in this illustration. But so that is the part which moves then from one body to another. The physical body it goes, of course. The raw pranic body it also goes. We withdraw all our energy to this very small subtle body which is the soul. And our conscious thoughts also it goes because it relates to the brain. You no. Know? So, then we are only, you could say, immersed in our subconscious. And, uh, okay, at the center of that, we still have the self. Uh, nothing exists without the self. So, that is also true there. But so, we are there in a very different kind of state, where also we are not going to make so very rational decisions, because we don't have any more a, a conscious mind. We will be more emotional, you could say, in nature and driven by those emotional forces inside of us, we will choose a new life, we will choose a new body, we will choose what to do next. In last class we talked about the natural evolution of desires, where we move from the desire of security, to the desire of pleasure, to the desire of status, to the desire of love, to the desire of understanding, and finally to the desire of enlightenment. But we have not so much talked about, okay, what then is the evolution there, once we start having this desire to let go of the ego and to really truly live from the self. And so, okay, then the question is, once we then desire enlightenment, what happens? The illustration of the famous ancient Bhumikas, the seven steps towards enlightenment. Which starts with a question? This question is quite simply, can I be happy, independent of what happens? And this question usually comes because we get tired of always going from happy to unhappy, depending on what happens. We have a nice partner, we feel happy, we lose that partner, we feel unhappy. And then the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and after a while we're like, okay, but can't I just have this happiness independent you know, of a partner being there or not? You know, this is just one example. So it's a huge question, actually. You know? Many people are afraid to ask it. And many people even, you know, resist asking this question because they are so much attached to all these things that make them happy, and so much against, let's say, all those things that make them unhappy. So they don't want to kind of hear that their happiness is a thing that they themselves could, you know, be responsible for, and not just the things that happen outside of them. But so, okay, once we ask this question, then we start studying this question, of course. And so then we read lots of books, and listen to lectures, and think about all these things. And this takes a while, you know, before we are then ready to really start practicing, because that is what all the teachings will tell us. You can understand this, but to experience it, and especially to experience fully the Self, which is the source of that unchanging happiness. You need to practice. You need to practice precisely to let go of everything so that the self can fully come forward, which is then something which happens in meditation. So, and then we practice and we practice <laughs> until yes, we enter that deeper state of meditation by whichever method, you know, is suitable for us and there find the self. And once we really have that full experience of the self, our identification, anyhow, it already changes. We will still be identified also with our individual beingness, but we will to some degree also be identified with the self. And most importantly, we will be able to easily go there without needing so much technique, let's say, without needing one hour or two hours of, of meditation. We will know the way. We will know the feeling of it, you could say. And very easily, just by choosing to do so, we will very strongly experience the self. And of course, then also that happiness, that bliss that it brings, which brings us to this fourth stage where, yeah, we are, what is then called sattvapati, the ruler of our own happiness. And so, there, yeah, we have the connection. We have the connection to the Self. We can be happy whenever we want. We can still be unhappy also, if we want. But the moment we feel, no, <laughs> then we detach. You know? And we go there and we find that that peace and that bliss, which is already a very nice place uh, to be. And which is also the ideal place, I would say, or the ideal state, from where to fulfill our remaining desires. Because it is not because we have found that in happiness of the Self that some desires will not remain. No, they will still be there. They will be much less important, maybe, And definitely, if we cannot fulfill them right now, then we'll be okay. No? But if we can fulfill them, okay, we will fulfill them and in that way exhaust them. No? Desires are to some degree gotten rid of by fulfilling them. No? And so, okay, that may take quite a while, depending on how, you know, many desires are still on our inner bucket list, let's say. And uh, they are okay. We move forward until we feel okay, nothing much left here that I want. And then we enter the next stage of non attachment, which means okay, there's nothing that we want, there's nothing to which we are attached. And the only thing then that remains are still our remaining karmic debts. So, that means, yeah, okay, in past life, I don't know, you were dishonest or something. You have to pay back something for that. So, in that way, in this stage of non-attachment, we find a lot of Karma Yoga. These people, then, we feel, okay, they seem to have no more personal agenda, but they are there caring for everyone and using their particular talents, maybe. uh, They are helping everyone whether in a more practical way or whether maybe by teaching them or um, organizing things for them that, that bring them forward on, on the spiritual path. These are all possibilities that are there. Until at some point we feel, okay, there are also nothing left. I don't owe anything anymore to anybody. I've really like cleared all my debts. And then they enter the phase of non-perception, Because, yeah, basically there's nothing in the world that they want, and there's nothing in the world that they owe. So then why open your eyes, you know? (laughs) Then you stop looking around. And even with eyes open, these people will be experienced as being totally focused inside. They may still function. They may still answer your questions, let's say. But they will not speak unless questioned. No, they will not act unless, yeah, it is just natural, like eating when you're hungry or something like that. But they will not desire that food in any way. And if the food is not there anyhow, they'll be totally, you know, okay. So that is a very special state of being, which does not happen to many, many people. And which also apparently does not need to stay for a very long time to bring about the last and final step of enlightenment where the individual is totally lost, and okay, the merge with with cosmic consciousness is is finalised. So then, game over. You know, uh, you are there. And okay, we can talk a long time about what happens next. I'm not going to do that here. I actually have another class on YouTube called "The Seven Steps Toward Enlightenment." So you can find that in there. We talk a lot more about these steps because there's all kinds of things there to learn, and uh, and then also okay about what happens after after that. Some of the main things still to say about these seven steps is that true forceful detachment only is needed in stage three, the stage of practice then, yes, it may really be necessary for some time to let go of everything, to let go of all your desires, to let go of your little addictions, maybe, to really yeah, not f- play around with the senses too much, for example, so that your whole system can totally calm down And this going inside becomes possible, and this finding of the Self in its full glory, let's say, becomes possible. But so it is only there that this is needed. In the next stage, where you have found the Self and basically are happy, independent of what happens, then, sure, as I said, fulfilling your desires, whatever remains, is still a requirement. Because otherwise, you know, they'll just keep being there. And there's nothing wrong, of course, also, if you can fulfill them in harmony, in Dharma, without forcing it. And you also will not need to force it. Because anyhow, you have your heart connection. And that keeps you happy, independent of what happens. So that is a main thing. Another thing is then that in this fourth stage, of, yeah, true connection to the self, then also very much the whole story about enlightenment will become less relevant. Because even without being enlightened, you already have fulfilled your desire that started this whole game. You already have found the source of happiness independent of what happens. So that really totally then again changes how you, yeah, look at life and, and look at yourself. And as I said, this can take quite a long time, depending on how many desires you have, but also because you're not going to be in a hurry. (laughs) Because you don't have anything anymore to run away from. You're basically beyond the typical problems that normal people have. So that is also important to see. Other part of this is, of course, also that if then we look at the evolution of desires through the chakras and through the elements, until you reach that desire for enlightenment, which does not mean that your other desires are gone, but you at least come to that point where that becomes also something important in your life. And then once you start walking on these stairs and moving up, 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 that this whole process cannot be seen as something that can logically be done within one life. And so then the entire story of many lives of reincarnation becomes very important, because the people who do not believe in that part of the spiritual story, let's say, they will become very frustrated because the more they dig into their ego, the more they study their attachments and try to get rid of them, the more they will be yeah, frustrated because it's not so easy. It's not just a change of mind. It's really a change of something which is quite beyond your control in a way. No? And so then people start complaining about their awakening. And we see that a lot, of course, like on social media, people entering this so-called dark night of the soul and, you know, trying to dig out the roots of all these attachments that they find in themselves, having this kind of feeling of immense urgency, that this needs to be done now and quick and fully, Otherwise, how else could they ever think to, you know, escape all this nonsense of the ego? Uh, Yeah, if you only have one life. So, okay, then we need to a little bit study this story of reincarnation. And first of all, realize that the same seers, the same rishis, that brought us this beautiful understanding of the self and cosmic consciousness, are also the same ones. Who are bringing us the also actually very beautiful story of many lives to fulfill this path towards enlightenment. And okay, this is different from the self in the sense that the self can be easily understood and to some degree even easily experienced. But the whole story about reincarnation and different lives is a lot more difficult to experience and so naturally doubt is there and to some degree then we have to rely on those seers and say okay they know they have through direct experience in deep meditation seen this experienced this and so okay we have to um, believe in that and in that way calm down <laughs> not be so much in a hurry Be patient with ourselves, love our ego, and see us as, yeah, on quite a long journey. And uh, as long as we are moving forward, at least, we can feel happy about ourselves and about the effort that that we are making, and not so desperate. Many of these people who enter this dark night of the soul, they also totally forget to bring the light with them, And to let that light shine there in that darkness. Because for sure, yes, the ego, it has a dark side. For sure, in everyone. And we also need to see that and we should not be afraid to look at it. But we also will only be able to look at it, to really look it in the face, if we carry the light of the self with us. We have to see, No, this is so stupid in a way. Everybody feels, yeah, from the self, we have to love everybody. But we still find it so very hard to love ourselves. (laughs) While from the self, the ego is not a problem at all. The ego is just a chart, just an idea also, just a little misunderstanding, and natural, needed for life. And so, in that way, uh, the self does not have any problem at all with the ego. So, if we want to live more, From the Self, which is our basic objective, then we also have to love the ego as it does. Otherwise, how can you move forward? So you will recognize here these different stupas of the body, this temple made out of five elements, earth, water, fire, air and space. And beautifully you will see how There, through the element of space, the most subtle of all elements, we are anyhow all connected to the Self, to this cosmic beingness, which is symbolized by the I, which is there in the middle. We always have to remember that, even if we are on a path, even if we are maybe thirsty to move forward, still we are okay, you know. (laughs) This world is okay, nothing wrong. And it evolves also naturally, sure, towards that center. But we need not be so much in a hurry, or not so much frustrated, if sometimes, yes, it's not that easy. So and then, one of the funny things is that many people believe in reincarnation, But if you then ask them if they also believe in spirits, they'll go like, no, 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 that's just superstition. (laughs) Which is funny, because the story of reincarnation cannot happen without spirits being there in between lives. When the body dies, something like moves out and then enters the next body, you know, in, in the womb of the mother, the fetus. So where is it in between? That is also part of this story, and that is also the story brought by those same seers who have brought us the entire story of the Self. So there we have to also understand that we are multidimensional beings. When we speak about our soul, this is not just something which is, let's say, inside of us somehow. No, this is a kind of being which we are which is there in another dimension. And okay, again, something which is quite hard to understand, quite hard certainly also to experience, but it is again from the deep meditation experiences that this kind of information comes. And we have said before, in the stage of practice, that is where we are going this deep meditation. But so deep meditation truly means that we withdraw to our more subtle beingness, we withdraw to our soul, we withdraw within the subconscious mind. And so that also means that we withdraw to a more subtle kind of existence which exists within another dimension. So here we see a I would say, try out (laughs) of a way to show what these dimensions are like. And then very often one refers to these Russian dolls, where you have one doll and inside there is another doll, and inside that doll there is another doll. And so always deeper and deeper you go. So this is the same kind of image here, where we have the physical dimension which is what we experience here, what we see here. But then within that dimension, there is a more subtle dimension, the astral dimension. And then within that dimension, there is an even more subtle dimension, which is the celestial dimension, also named the first heaven. And so there more and more subtle dimensions. They come until we come to the most subtle of all, of course, which is the dimension of the Self. So this is who we are. And just like in a virtual reality game, you can have the experience of, I don't know, walking in a jungle and killing soldiers or something. (laughs) We are also here living this life as a virtual reality game. Quite a perfect one, I would say. With the senses, no? Being responsible for creating this illusion of being here, while actually, in a sense, our soul is not here. Our soul is in a much more subtle dimension and connected to this dimension only through, you could say, energy channels. Through nadis, no? And in that way, being able to experience this body, work with this body, move this body, and so on. Just like in a virtual reality game, you know, the cables will connect us with the helmet and the gloves and whatever else, you know, equipment is there to give you this virtual reality experience. So that is really, again, this is not my story. This comes from the ancient seers of India. This is how they perceive our existence as actually not being here, this world being an illusion, and actually being in a much more subtle form and in a much more subtle kind of dimension. And so, yeah, what is there then still to say is that this image, it is also showing very much that our perception of these different dimensions depends very much on how we look at it. And here, this image, you can see it in two ways. Either you will see a tunnel with the self at the very center. This is really then the image of those Russian dolls, you no? Know? always going deeper and deeper inside. But we can also see it as a cone. These different dimensions, like stacked atop one another, And then, yeah, the third one is the first heaven and the fourth one is the second heaven. And so then we go all the way up to, you know, the ultimate top. Like it is also there in the Lila board game, no? And actually in a recent video that I made on the spiritual significance of that game, I explained quite a lot more about these dimensions. So I'm not going to go too much into that, except maybe to say that the dimension of the self, is really not fitting within this image correctly because the dimension of the self is what is called the absolute dimension or the absolute plane, of which it is said that this is beyond any place, it is beyond any plane, it is really in everything and outside everything. So, uh, yeah, like the self itself, no, it is a little bit totally beyond our comprehension <laughs> what it really is. No, The significance of this is twofold. The first part is yes, that practice of deep meditation. If we want to be successful in withdrawing insight away from the physical world, up to the point where we no longer have the experience of sitting there in the body meditating then that means we are withdrawing to those more subtle dimensions. And so, once we are there, we can definitely use some help. (laughs) So, in all spiritual traditions, different practices are there to ensure that we get help from there. That is the first part. And this actually is not only limited, I would say, to the deep meditation that is the yogic samadhi, which is very sattvic in nature and in that way also normally directly leading us towards the Self and towards the experience of the Self. It is also there in what could be called more active kinds of samadhi, rajasic trance it is then called, which we find in many cultures, under the influence of, I don't know, hours of dancing in the sun, or yeah ayahuasca, or other uh, psychedelics, which, which can also take our consciousness to these more subtle dimensions. So that is all involved there. And all these things, very well known, needing some kind of protection, some kind of help, some kind of support, in order to be positive in their effect. And then, especially then, of course, those more rajasic samadhis. The yogic samadhi is different in that way because actually nothing wrong can happen there because anyhow the self is so predominant in that experience. So, that is one part. The other part is that, okay, again, these same seers are telling us These spiritual dimensions do not only exist, and we also do not only exist within those spiritual dimensions, in our more subtle forms, but they will also say that these spiritual dimensions have quite an impact also on our life, here in the physical dimension, precisely because, okay, we are not really here, (laughs) we are there. So whatever happens there, it affects what happens here also. And so then also in that way, in, I would say, all spiritual traditions of the world, we find certain rituals which are a kind of language, a kind of communication with those other dimensions so that we can get help there also to yeah solve problems here attain our objectives here and definitely also avoid getting problems from that area let's say from those other dimensions and so then we come to things like spiritual healing of course but also okay many other things that are possible to influence what happens here and especially then also to influence our spiritual growth because spiritual growth it has so many different aspects And in many different levels, we can find help there, we can find insight there, we can get connected to the cosmic intellect, as it is then called, which is basically a connection to that more subtle dimension where understanding comes in a very different way than we are used to getting it, where understanding comes not as a result of reasoning and analysis of different kinds of data, but where understanding comes truly as an intuition, as insight, as a knowing, which is without doubt. You know? So, there also we can get that, that help. It is not very modern, let's say. It is not very popular in modern society, all these yeah, more ritualistic aspects. You no? Know? People usually will see those as old-fashioned religious kind of practices. In that way, of course, also related to many of the problems created by religion, which which are definitely there. You know? So this is creating quite a little bit of a, a problem for people to engage in such rituals. But I would say that apart from the experiences that you might have in deep meditation, but that is not something very easily attained, to perform some kind of rituals and see what it does. To get some result from that is probably the best way to convince yourself, yeah, something is there. (laughs) This is not just like blah, blah, blah and religious talk. No. But yeah, okay, people then say, yeah, but why would I want to do some kind of ritual, which I don't understand, belonging to another culture? No, I want to do it from my own, like, culture. But then, yeah, we burned the witches, right? In the Middle Ages, we burned all that. We, we destroyed all that. The church basically did that. Left very little, I would say, to the imagination when it comes to doing really some kind of communication with other dimensions that is really totally disappeared. So in some way, we can only yeah, be grateful that some other cultures still maintain those practices and try to learn from them. Maybe try to find there some universal principles that are not so much bound by culture so that we can again ourselves start developing these kinds of practices. And, and get a, get a better connection in the spiritual world, which can definitely help us very much in, in uh, moving forward. You know? And so one of the best ways, I think, to approach this for many people is to start some kind of ancestor rituals, which is a practice which anyhow was also existing in all old traditions and is still very dominant in many traditions today. And it's very relevant because if you want to start, let's say, uh, improving your spiritual public relations, then your ancestors are where you have to start because they are the most close to you. They are the most connected to you and they are anyhow the most influential on you. And it can be done in a very simple way because when we study ancestral rituals, then we can actually say that every family is doing it in their own way. And, of course, in Hinduism, let's say, you will find many similarities between what families are doing, but still also many, many differences. So, there we are actually quite free to develop our own new kind of ritual, if something like that does not exist within our family. And do this, as I said, using certain general universal principles that are anyhow very important whenever we want to, let's say, successfully communicate with the spiritual world here we see a typical way in which we can offer something to the spiritual world whether it is to our ancestors or whether it is like here to some image of ganesha or whether it is let's say to jesus or buddha or allah or whichever you know form you want always the same principle of offering the five elements will be there. And, well, basically this means if you offer the five elements that you are offering the whole universe, because the whole universe is made out of these five elements. But there is really quite a lot more to it, because each of these elements have a particular power, which make the communication with the spiritual world more effective. And so, the first power is the power of Earth, which comes in the offering, let's say, of flowers, or cookies, or ladus, actually, here in this picture. They're kind of a sweet balls, often associated with Ganesha. So, this offering brings with it the power of imagination. Because most spiritual beings, they will reside in the astral plane. So, in the astral plane, all the elements are there, except the element of Earth. So, when we give a flower, we are not really giving that flower, because they cannot, you know, like, take it there, because there's no Earth element available there. But they can use it to imagine it to be there. So, if you offer a rose, with this rose, they can imagine an entire rose garden. Then one might think, yeah, but can't they just do it from memory? Well, that is a little bit the problem for them. They forget. Because, yeah, there's no real roses there uh, growing, you know, in that world. So, after a while, they forget. So, we remind them. We give them the image. We give them the taste. We give them, you know, the uh, essence, the blueprint of whatever is here in the earth plane. And with that, they can imagine living in a palace with a beautiful garden and eating something very nice which for many spiritual beings, and especially, for example, the ancestors, will be very much appreciated. So that creates a lot of goodwill, you can say. Mm. Then the second element is the water element. And water has a very particular power of being extremely conductive. Now we can also say water is very conductive to electricity which is why you should not, you know, drop your hairdryer in your bathtub, no. But it is also in that way very conductive for more subtle pranic energy. And basically we can say it is the most easy way that we can offer to any kind of spiritual being to come near us. We give it that body of water and there easily the spiritual energy, it can stay. So that is why it is always used. And then we have the fire in the form of a candle, or an oil lamp, or a ghee lamp, which has the power of connection. As I said before, we are not really here. And so these spiritual beings with whom we want to communicate, they are also not really here. We are here connected through certain energetic cords, Nadis. And so they can also do that, given that power of fire. The fire is like a beacon. It is not only going to attract, but it is also going to allow them to, let's say, come here. Which is not really, of course, what they are doing. It is also not what we are doing. (laughs) But it will give them that experience of being here. And allow them then to reside in that water. And then the fourth is the air element, which usually is offered has a nice smell, whether from incense or some kind of essential oil or maybe uh, some nice-smelling flowers. And there we have the power to change their mood you know, because it will be for them very enjoyable. We can say that most spiritual beings, they are very much connected in the air element. And so by bringing a very nice smell in that air element, they feel very good. As I explained before, When we are in the soul form, we don't have a brain. So, we're not very rational, we're very emotional. That also means we are very easily influenced by such kind of nice input. Like, if a person is unhappy and you tell that person, Oh, smell this rose, how nice. They'll smell it, but they like resist that happy feeling that they could get from it with their brain and say, Oh yeah, it's okay. But I'm still angry. <laughs> but so, in spirit form, this is not so easy for them to do. Easily, the nice smell will make them feel good. So, for example, the ancestors, we don't know. No? Sometimes, maybe they're also not so happy. Maybe they're not so happy with us, no? because many things are changing. The whole generation gap gets quite a different kind of meaning. When we talk about the ancestor spirits. So yeah, to make them in a good mood, let's say we use that nice smell in the air element. And then last, but definitely not least, now we have the space element, which has this unique power of creating harmony through the sound that we are using. Through some bells, some chanting, some mantra, whatever we use, always there is a harmonization which comes through that use of sound. This comes in so many ways, shamanic drumming, or whatever, that always is there. And definitely the power of mantra is such no? that it creates a harmony, otherwise said, dharma. No? Very important concept in Vedic spirituality. It brings a sense of dharma. It brings a positive attitude. It brings a kind of understanding which is needed no? to maintain harmony. So, the offering of these five elements, which we can find in all kinds of religious uh, rituals, is a very tantric way, actually, of communicating with the spiritual world. And okay, even in India, I think most people are not aware of that, but they are still doing it. And okay, that is maybe also not unwise, because if they might be aware of it, they might be afraid of it also. (laughs) So, just, you know, doing it because it is tradition, because it is custom, it still works. So, okay, I'm not saying that everyone should be so much interested, even in the spiritual world. There's a reason why we are, like, having the experience of being here and not being somewhere else. Otherwise, how can we play this game here? like in a convincing way. So, the real tantric practice, I would say, of connecting to the spiritual world is mostly there. Okay, maybe in healers like myself or in other people who want to do something there. And then in those also who are really going for the deep meditation practice. There some ritual is very essential. The offering of these five elements before you start meditating is very essential. Only then you will get the proper guidance. And I have seen it in myself. I can honestly say I have totally resisted these kind of religious superstitious things for so many years. And it is only in the time when I started accepting more that this was part of the path that my meditation practice really started bringing results. Because I was getting help? No, we can really think that we are doing all that. (laughs) It's not the truth. If we make the effort, of course, we have to make the effort. We cannot ask, you know, help me to be concentrated, because that is our effort. But once we make that effort, what happens then is definitely not only in our own hands. We get help from above, or beyond, or whichever you want to name it. And that help is very, very important to get anywhere. In that way, I think now we have discussed most aspects of how, from the universe, we have all these different powers with which to work, with which to balance our energy, up to, yes, those dimensions beyond the physical dimension and so then in the next class i will be explaining simplifying i would say things a little bit it's become quite complicated now now we've been talking about so many different things and in practice it is actually also not that difficult we can make the right choices there and start some kind of practice both, I would say, in our lives, as in then meditation. And that way, yeah, really, quite rapidly, I would say, move into that fourth phase of the seven steps towards enlightenment, where we are, to some degree, let's say, masters of our own happiness, masters of our energy, masters of our inner harmony, And from there, okay, enlightenment can wait. We are no longer in a hurry. And we can also really enjoy being there and doing whatever we desire, actually. If, okay, the opportunity is there without creating any trouble for us or for others. Mm -hmm. So that is the topic of next time.